morning. We are pulling a change up on you. I get to preach this morning, and I am obviously not Pastor Brent. All right. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Bickett. I am hanging out with the kiddos most of the early morning times. I am kind of over the classrooms for those that are in the nursery and preschool and the kids' church. And so I get to check in on them. I get to go play with babies. I get to hang out in the preschool room and watch what they're doing. By the way, they jump a lot in the preschool room. Wear the right shoes. Bring your high-energy game the day you're in there. And then the kids' church, they have tons of activities, and they just rock it in there. So needless to say, I enjoy being there, but I also enjoy getting to come in with the adults and with the older teens and just get to experience some interactions with you every once in a while, and this morning we get to do that. So we're talking about sharing the load. And there's no better way to understand sharing the load than to actually do it. And this morning we're going to look at a few ways that this can happen and what's important when we talk about sharing the load. Now, Pastor Brent has had some stories about backpacking, and they're cool, and they're like stupid, if you're honest about some of them. But, you know, we just won't go there completely. Um, but, you know, life is an adventure. And, and to get our marriage kicked off on the right foot, my husband thought that we needed to have an adventure. And so I had done outdoors things growing up, and I had water skied, and, and I, he got me into climbing and all of that. And we had done camping, but it, it was camper camping. And my husband thought that it would be fabulous if we did backpack camping. And what that means is you take everything you possibly need for however many days it is, put it into a pack that's about this big, go away from any modern civilizations and survive. And I thought, I'm going to be the fabulous wife and I'm going to do this with him. So we went and we got the pack. We got it fitted for me. We you know, picked out the first destination we were going to go to. And I can't even tell you how long the hike was supposed to be. Um, we got all of the gear together. And then we split up the gear between the packs. We were sharing the load. And um, we got there. And excitement and adrenaline were kicking in. We started up the mountain and up the mountain. And about halfway up, started slowing down. And people would come down the mountain at this point as we're heading up. <laughs> we're heading up. <laughs> Keep going, keep going, keep going. Needless to say, we did not reach our destination. We had enthusiastically overpacked, which meant that it was killing me in the process of trying to get to where we were going. And so we picked a middle point to stop because that's all the further that I could go. And we set up camp, and it was fabulous. Um, but when we got back home, we decided, hey, just out of curiosity, let's weigh our packs. You know, that makes sense. Weigh it after you take off hiking with it. <laughs> And just see what's going on here, um, you know, why it's killing me so much. And come to find out, you know, the average that you're supposed to pack is around 20% of your body weight or less, you know, to, to be able to maintain your energy levels and not kill yourself. Uh, mine came in somewhere around in like 40 to 50% of my body weight. Yeah, could have been a slight reason for why I couldn't make it to the top. But anyway, we had to share the load. We had what we needed and then some and... We made it. But sharing the load also means sharing within a relationship. It can be at work. It can be with our families. It can be with our friends. Sharing implies that there's more than one person involved. It's not too often that you take out the cheesecake and say, I'm going to share with myself today. Sharing involves that there's more than one person can handle. Sharing usually means that there's some kind of mutual benefit to it. 
in order for me to want to share with you, usually. For example, when I come home from the grocery store and I'm, I'm feeding a family of five, and three of them have been with me shopping, gathering all of the food. We arrive at our house, and all of a sudden, I'm starting to carry bags in. Three of them disappear. <laughs> My reply has come to be, if you want to eat, you come help carry. It's amazing how fast three little people will come back to the car. Or sometimes when we're at work, and there's a huge project that needs to happen in a short period of time, and it's more than one person can happen. Handle. There's multi-steps to it. There's multi-facets that need to be accomplished and pulled together. We need to share the load. We need to ask, hey, are you willing to take this part, and I'll take this part, and you take that part? Or, you know, when there's 30 kids in kids' church, and we need another helper, and I come to you and say, hey, can you help out this morning in kids' church? We could really use you. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but seriously, we could really use you. Just letting you know. Now, on a serious note, we have to share the load. We've all been there where we have too much and we need somebody else to help us carry it, whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally. We need to split the responsibilities, whether it's with our family, with our work, whether it's with sports or extracurricular things that we're doing in order to reach our end goal. And we know that sharing is not natural. We know this because all you have to do is look at a baby or a toddler. Try taking away a toy from a baby when he's happy and see what happens. Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. Try watching toddlers interact when there is this fabulous toy that they want to have and they think it is now theirs because they have it in their hands, and you tell them they need to share with another little friend because they think the toy is cool too. It's not going to happen. I've seen my children hold on and scream and hit and kick the other person in order to maintain possession of such a prized toy that they only want because the other sibling wants it. We have to teach children that in order to share means they have to be willing to give up something that they want for a little bit so that somebody else can enjoy it as well. Sharing requires that we learn to interact on a relational level. It implies that there's going to be a give and a take that needs to happen. We've been looking at the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And he has some fabulous information in this book. If you haven't read it, it's been around for a while. But if you haven't read it, I would highly encourage you to. It applies to any type of workforce interaction that we have. And when I say workforce, I don't mean simply that you go to a job and get paid. It includes going to your family. That's a workforce. It means interacting with your neighborhood. That's a workforce. Any relationship you have, these principles will apply to. So today we're going to look at um, what we call, what Stephen Covey calls the win-win paradigm. But before we do that, I want to look at the first four that he outlines. And the first one is this. It's called the win-lose mindset. And with the win-lose mindset means you go into some kind of a relationship or some kind of agreement where you're trying to get to an end goal with a mindset of, I am going to win and you are going to lose in order to make this happen the way I want it to. It comes across as authoritative. It comes across saying that what I need matters more than what you need, and so that's where we're going to go. It means that the person gains intrinsic value through external rewards. In other words, if I am the better child because I'm obeying mom and dad right now, you're going to love me more. So therefore, I need to behave more. I need to do better. That's how I'll get mom and dad to love me. 
I need to be the student in school that's getting straight A's because then I'm the good student. I'm not the student that's struggling to understand a concept because it's difficult for me right now. It means that if I am wronged, I can take you to court and prove that I can win because my argument is better than yours. The second one is the lose-win mindset. When people go into the lose-win mindset, they go in thinking, and maybe they don't always go in thinking, but this is the perception, is I'm going to lose so that you can win. This is often what happens when you have people that present a passive or a submissive side. They go into, let's say, a work environment where they need to work with somebody else. And in order to make that happen, there's somebody that has a stronger personality or a stronger ego or who has the win-lose mindset. And they say, in order to make this happen, instead of me fighting with you, I'm going to give you what you want, even if it hurts me in the process, even if it makes me feel less than or unworthy or whatever the case may be. I'm going to give up. You win. This creates a lot of emotional insecurity. It's people that are trying to seek strength from being accepted or being popular by giving in to what the other person wants. There's little to no standards or convictions for what you want because at this point it doesn't matter. I'm going to give it up. The third one is the lose-lose mindset. There are no winners, obviously, and this wins nowhere in there. What happens is when you get two win-lose people in a relationship that are trying to get to an end goal, they both want to win at any cost. Neither one of them is going to compromise, back down, share, change in order to make this work. So they're going for the win-win. Or, I mean, they're going for the win-lose. People in this kind of a mentality mindset, when they enter into these relationships to get to their end goal, become vindictive. They become bitter. What you're trying to do is make me look bad. What you're trying to do is disrupt what I'm trying to achieve. What you're trying to do, and it keeps building until all of a sudden there's nothing left but trying to hurt each other in order to prove who's right. And the fourth one is called just straight up win. This is that unique situation where you're not involved or you just don't care about what the other person does. You're only in it just for you. I don't care if you lose. I don't care if I have to manipulate you. I just want to deal with my own situation and win. It only deals with me. The first three of these come from a competitive approach, a competitive mindset with any and every relationship it's used in. There are times when these approaches can be useful, but we're not going to go into those today. What we're going to focus on is how we can become so entrenched in the competitive mindset that it's difficult for us to acknowledge that there's actually another way to approach relationships. But don't worry. <laughs> we're all crazy. It's not a competition. It's not. Stephen Covey tells us that there is a third approach to go beyond winning and losing in our relationships in order to share the load. It's not my way. It's not your way. 
but it's a better way, and it involves win-win. This can be a concept that is a little bit difficult for us to sometimes wrap our minds around because we don't always think about the fact that both people can win in order to get to our end goal. Win-win is a frame of mind and heart that constantly seeks mutual benefit in all human interactions. It focuses on cooperation instead of competition, and it recognizes the importance and the value of each person involved in this relationship. Win-win focuses on the relationships, such as communication, active learning, listening, doing the hard work to try to understand the perspective of the other person, not just our own. Because how we act and treat other people speaks to our own personal character. And our character is important because our character affects our relationships, which then affects our agreements. Or another way of saying that is it affects our interactions with everybody else we come in contact with. Our character defines who we are on the inside, and it can be either positive or negative. So today, in order to kind of look at that and to bring some meat to it, we're going to look at a couple of guys that are respected throughout the Bible. We're going to kind of follow them on some journeys, and so we're going to hit some different scriptures, and we're going to see how they were able to share the load and to cooperate in order to reach a win-win situation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 13. When we're sitting in Acts, we're going to be focusing on the person of Paul. He was an apostle. Before he became an apostle, he was a persecutor of Christians, and his name was Saul. So when we read the first scripture reference, you're going to notice that we call him Saul. But he's actually going to be the same person because he has a change inside of him. Acts 13, verses 2 through 3 say, While we were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who's Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So that's all great, but how does this apply to win-win relationships that we're talking about today? The first thing to notice is that the Holy Spirit is the one that set these two apart. Specifically tells us the Holy Spirit set these two apart. They had been in a church in Antioch, worshiping with fellow believers, fellow teachers, fellow prophets, and during this time, it was said, set these two apart for what I have called them to. In today's language, what that translates to is, I have a specific purpose for these two. I want you guys to bless them any way you can in order to make it happen. So they've been set apart. Second of all, they have been set apart specifically to go and preach and teach the message of Jesus Christ. The fact that he was crucified and risen and he is our Savior which now is the new law of the land, instead of the Old Testament law that they had been living by. They sent them off together as two. They traveled as a pair, and they shared the good news. The second thing that we need to notice is that last little sentence 
John Mark went with them as their assistant. A lot of times when we're reading the Bible, we'll get reading along and we just kind of go with the flow and we hit things that are just like, ah, that's in there, all right, keep on moving. And often when you hit that little, ah, it's in there, you need to take pause and store it in your memory bank because it's going to come back around and it's going to be important later. So they go off and they're on what's called the first journey of Paul, missionary journey. They're going to go and they're going to travel. And while they're sent off, what we have to notice is that there's two of them called to go together, plus they have some helpers going with them. This has now become a cooperative endeavor between all of them that are involved. They're sharing. What we have to realize is that this concept of sending out two or more is not new. This was how Jesus lived when he was on the earth. Jesus had his apostles with him at all times. When he got his followers and they became disciples, meaning anybody that learned the teachings of Jesus Christ, he sent them out two by two in order to spread the word so that more people could believe. It's an important concept for us to remember. You can see on this map the areas that um, Paul and Barnabas traveled. They um, started out at Antioch, which is on the right-hand lower side there. And you follow the bottom purple lines where they went to the island of Cyprus. They hung out there, they preached, did what they needed to do there, and then they went on up to Pamphylia, which is at the, at the yellow section there. What you need to realize is right about this area here is going to become important in a minute. Okay? So because Paul and Barnabas were men of good character, they were doing what they were called to do. They were engaging in relationships, and they were engaging a win-win mindset, meaning that they were working with each other, they were working with other people, and they were doing what they had been asked. Integrity is one of the things that's important. All right. The wheels are coming off the bus here. We have a lot of moving details, and I don't want you guys to miss anything out here. All right. Let me slow down and go back into teacher mode. We're talking about win-win. Within win-win, in order for this to happen, we've said we have to have cooperation. In order for cooperation to happen, we have to be careful of our character. Our character says who we are and how we interact with people. Okay? Now, what Covey's going to do and where we're going to go is we're going to take a moment to look at three traits that fall underneath our character. Hang with me. It's not going to take that long. The first one that we're going to talk about is our integrity. Okay? So our integrity. Covey defines integrity as this, the value that we place on ourselves. And at first glance, this seems kind of selfish, but really it isn't. Our integrity goes back to the first three lessons that we have learned in the last three weeks of this series being able to identify what's important to us, our values, and focus on them and to follow through on what we say. If I make a commitment to you, I need to follow through on it. That speaks to my integrity. If I make a promise about something or I say I'm going to do something, I need to follow through and I need to do that. If I don't, it goes against my integrity. The second thing Brent talked about was putting our ladder up against the correct wall because we can climb a ladder as high as we want to, but if it's not placed on the right wall for the right reason, it makes no difference whatsoever that we make it to the top. 
And the third reason was making sure that we stay within that quadrant, too, that that we had talked about last week, of making sure that we focus on what is important and not urgent and not get distracted by those other things. So our integrity is the ability to make commitments and promises and to follow through. It's internal. It reflects my efforts, my decision. When we break our promises, what we're saying to the other person is, you're not important enough for me to follow through on what I said. It puts the value of me as more important than that other person, and it becomes a competitive mindset instead of a cooperative one. It devalues the other person, and we say, I'm going to do whatever I need to for me. We're going to jump back in and see what Paul and his companions are doing in Acts 13.13. It says, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So we have another little quick ending to this. John Mark was with them. John Mark has now left them. And if you think back to that map, that was the first leg. They still had to go up and around and come back. So John Mark left them pretty early in this travels. Paul and the others were fulfilling what they were sent to do. And it doesn't say why John Mark left them. It just simply says he left them. The second character trait that we need to be focused on in our win-win relationships is maturity. Maturity does not mean age. does not mean that you continue to get it as we get older and supposedly wiser. In this case, dealing with our relationships, maturity means the balance between courage and consideration. Stephen Covey bases his definition off of one that he got in college from his professor that says, emotional maturity is the ability to express one's own feelings and convictions balanced with consideration for thoughts and feelings of others. This is huge. So let me say it again. Emotional maturity is the ability to express one's own feelings and convictions, in other words, what I believe, what I think, what is important to me, my values, balanced with the consideration for the thoughts and feelings of others. You enter into a cooperative mindset. Maturity is having the courage to stand up for what I believe because it is true. And yet, respectfully listen and try to understand what you are saying because you believe it is true. It puts both needs at the same level so that all parties are valued. Paul and Barnabas finish their journey and they end up back in Antioch where they began. And Paul begins to feel like they should go back to the churches that they have just got done visiting and encourage and check in on the believers and the churches that were established along the way. In other words, he's saying, I want to go make sure they're doing okay. I want to go encourage them. But along the way to making this happen, we hit a little disruption. Acts chapter 15. 
in verse 36 through 38 says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed. So, so far, we're at a good spot. And wanted to take along John Mark. Now, do you think this is maybe going to cause a problem? But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So now all of a sudden, those two simple sentences, John Mark went with them, John Mark left them, holds a lot more meaning because all of a sudden we're looking at the integrity, the maturity, the character of John Mark. And Barnabas is saying, I want to give it a go with him and try again. And Paul is saying, I don't trust him. We've been there. He bolted. I don't think it's a wise idea. But if we continue on in verses 39 and 40, it says their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. So now what had been cooperative has gotten broken up. And it seems like we're dealing with a loss-loss situation here. The two traveling companions had significant history, had traveled together, had shared the gospel together, and now they're separating over something as simple as taking a helper with them. But the reality of the matter is they have reached one more option in our relationship encounters. Covey calls it win-win or no deal. Win-win or no deal is a higher form of the win-win. Remember, with win-win, we're trying to achieve what is important to both of us, coming to the table so that we can talk and work it out and walk away both mutually benefited from the situation. Win-win or no deal says that when we come to the situation where we come to the table and we talk and we work it out and we talk and we work it out and we talk and we try to work it out and we just can't agree to where we're both mutually benefited and mutually satisfied, we walk away from it. No deal. And we agree to disagree respectfully. Paul and Barnabas separated. No deal. This is not something we can come to a cooperative agreement on in order to benefit both of us, so they walked away from it. I'm not sure the emotional state of Paul and Barnabas. It doesn't say if both were upset or if one was upset. It just says there was a sharp disagreement. We know emotions were high here. We know that it meant a lot to both of them. It's something they both valued. But what we do know is that these relationships were later reconciled. The great thing with the Bible is we can read part of the story in one gospel and we can go to another book of the story and kind of pick up what happens. Along the way, Paul and Barnabas are reconciled to each other. They work things out. And along the way, John Mark travels with Barnabas. He also travels with Peter. He grows in his integrity. He grows in his maturity. He grows in his ability to be able to work cooperatively and build that trust factor back up so that at the end of Paul's life, when he's in prison, he actually requests John Mark to be brought to him to help his ministry. So the point here is that we need to be able 
to focus on what is necessary for both people to be able to win. We need to be able to say, this is important to me, and this is important to you, so let's work together until it can happen. Let's cooperate. The last character trait is the fact that there is something called an abundance mentality. And the abundance mentality is pretty simple. There's more than enough for everybody. There are not finite resources that we have to compete and fight over in order to get what we want all the time. The abundance mentality is easy to lose when we sit in a competitive mindset for very long. It seemed like a loss when Paul and Barnabas split, but it was actually a gain because of the fact that we have an abundance mentality. Barnabas was able to take John Mark and sail to Cyprus and minister and take other companions there and spread the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul took Silas, and he went back to his hometown and did two more missionary travels that took him all over so that he could spread the gospel. Christianity was actually benefited by the separation of no deal in this case, even though it did not seem like it at the time. The word was spread further. More people came to know the loving Savior, Jesus Christ, and they were able to eventually reconcile with each other. Let me put this on a real personal level for you. Our character matters because it influences our relationships, which then impacts our agreements with people, our interaction, what we need. When I was um, just coming out of college, I got my degree in education. And I double majored, so I majored in elementary ed and special ed. And let me tell you, I thought I was hot stuff. I, I, was, I was it in my own mind. And so because I was fresh and on fire in my faith at that point, I decided I was going to apply at the Christian school as well as at some of the public schools. But the Christian school was my priority because I wanted to just get in there. And so we had this interview, and I had somebody tell me, you're a perfect fit. You're going to fit our school. You have what we need. It's a go. So I went to the interview, and I was confident. I knew what I wanted, and I was going to get it. And I was even confident enough that at our lunch where we had all of our fellow teachers, there were like five of us that had been doing our internships at the table, our mentor was going around saying, you know, what are you guys doing next? Where are you playing next? And, and I was confident enough to say, oh, I'm going to get a job at the Christian school. They have this position open. I'm going to get it. So I interviewed, and I got the phone call. You don't get the job. Sorry. What? You're passing up this perfection? Seriously? 
it crushed me. I mean, I, I literally sat there with the phone after she had hung up, trying to make sense of what had just been said to me. I was not getting the position. And it messed with my whole world because they had made a mistake, right? Competitive mindset. So then a few weeks later, I get a call. One of our teachers has gotten ill. He splits. Can you cover this? It's only part-time in the mornings. Sure, I'm available. I can do that. So I'm, I'm now in the school, and I'm now teaching because, yeah, they couldn't pass this up. So I'm in the school, and come to find out the person that had gotten the job that I had wanted and I was such a perfect fit for was also a co-worker or co-teacher that had sat around that table of five and did not say a word about what they were going to be doing for their next job because they were applying for the same one. And they got it. And when I realized that, my value system inside horribly went off track. I was so angry and so prideful that I could do the job better that I was flat out mean to her. It wasn't in a blatant way because I'm a Christian. I'm humble. I put on a good show. But there was no way I was cooperating with her in any sense. We would have prayer meetings before school started, and I would make sure I was not next to her because I did not want to hold her hand. I was teaching children that went between the two classrooms, and I would change just a little bit of how she taught something because my way was better. Oh, people, I was so black and ugly inside, and I did not realize it until my principal called me into her office and said, I don't know what your problem is. As far as I know, she has done nothing to you. But if you do not change how you are acting towards her, you will be the one that leaves here, not her. You see, all of my undermining had been from a prideful stance of saying, I can do better, let me show you how, and thus undermining her in the process. And let me tell you, my character took a major hit for it. Because now, instead of being respected, I was untrustworthy. Now, instead of looking for more opportunities for me to get into the school full-time, it's being questioned if I should even be there. Nobody had ever confronted me before on my behaviors. I was so good at putting the fake mask to the front and hiding those things that should be godly values inside that were black instead that it eventually came out. And the mask of my goodness and my helpfulness and my humility were no longer enough to cover up the fact that my character was broken inside and something had to change. I had to learn how to go from a competitive, win-lose mindset 
to a cooperative win-win mindset because this was not about me being the best teacher. This was not about me being God's gift to everybody that came into my presence. This was about me working with the team of teachers to instruct the next generation on how to live a godly life. I had to change. And let me tell you, God did some very hard work in my life. And I am not the same person today that I was then. And for that, I am eternally thankful. So the good news is, if we are stuck in a competitive mindset, I win, you lose, me first at any cost. It is possible to shift to a cooperative mindset where we can enter into a win-win and be mutually satisfied with what is needed or walk away from a deal if we can't do that in a respectful way. Because eventually, if we stay in the competitive mindset, our character will become destroyed and it will come out. Let me give you two stories just to compare this a little bit further. Just recently, in the last week or so, high school girls basketball team playing another team, the end score was 161 to 2. The coach played his A-string through the first half because he wanted to prepare his girls for league play, which was starting the next week. He put his second stringers in for the, the second half, but obviously it didn't do a whole lot to slow down. He says at the end of the game that he wishes he would have maybe just pulled his A-stringers a little bit sooner because he had run up the score to 104-1 to at halftime, or maybe just not played his A-stringers at all. The other coach that had the team that got two said, you know, don't feel sorry for my kids. They're playing. What you need to feel sorry for is what his kids are learning for character. The losing team's coach had a quote that was fabulous. He said, this coach is excellent at the X's and O's, teaching the kids what to do. Ethically, I'm not so sure. Compare that with the fact that there's another basketball game that needs to happen. This one is um, for a young girl named Lauren Hill in this picture here. When she was a high school senior, her dream was to play college ball for a team called Mount St. Joseph's. And so she signed on her senior year, and then that November found out she had pediatric cancer a very rare form of pediatric cancer. So she went ahead and practiced with the team and in September had gotten the news that it was terminal and she didn't have much longer because it's a very rapid cancer. And her only goal was to be able to play collegiate basketball at least one time. So what ended up happening was the coach worked with the other team who went to the NCAA and said, can we move up the season opener? And they had to go to them and get permission. The NCAA agreed. They bumped up the opener and started by two weeks, hoping that she would be healthy enough to be able to play. And the other team said, we'll be there. Then what happened was she wasn't able to travel, and so they had asked if the location could be changed 
So that team gave up their home court advantage. The game was shifted, and because it was shifted to Mount St. Joseph's local area, and because Lauren's story had come out now, they needed to get a larger facility to be able to house everybody that wanted to go. So then, I don't remember, it's like Xavier or something, opened up their facility, which is huge. They packed the stadium, sold it out. All of the proceeds went towards pediatric cancer research. Come to find out, Lauren was able to play the first game. She made her first layup. They had told the other team, I want no special anything, just play the game, and they did. They honored that. She made her layup. They pulled her out for the the remainder of the game. They put her in at the end, and she was able to score again, which was just phenomenal for her. Her dream was realized. For whatever reason, this story has just kind of touched me, and I followed it. Since then, Lauren's been able to play three more games through December where she would go out and just play and be able to make a shot, and then she'd have to sit down for the rest of the time. But she defied the odds. She had to retire her jersey in December because she was no longer able to play. And because of that, all of these different professionals began sending all of their 22 jerseys in to her. She was able to start a campaign to raise money. Her goal was to raise a million dollars by uh, the new year, which she realized. And now she's spending time with her family and focusing on their love. But you just think about the different mindsets between the two situations. The need to win at any cost because we need to practice to get better versus the willingness of the other team to say, you know what, we'll give up home court advantage. We'll come to you early even though we're cutting out two weeks of practice. We'll let her play, ensuring that she's safe but not reducing the game for her. Cooperative mindset in order to achieve the dream and the goal of a special girl. Competition is important when it's in its place. But no matter what, our character still has to hold true, even when we're competing. Cooperation allows us to get to a place that values both people. It's a win-win situation. What we do and what we say reflects our character, reflects our values, reflects what is on the inside. So my challenge for you is, since everything we say, everything we do matters, where is your focus Are you focused on the competition of getting what you want at any cost, at someone else's expense, work, family, personal relationships? Or are you willing to take the effort to shift your mindset to a win-win cooperative mindset where both people are valued and respected and can reach mutual benefits? The band's going to come up while I close us. And I just want you to think about what needs to shift today. Because all of us have competition in us. That's a given. But are there areas that we need to shift that competition to a cooperative mindset? When we choose to cooperate and share the load, 
It allows us to have deeper meaning infused into the relationships we engage in. It allows our interactions to be honest and truthful. It allows us to reflect what we hold dear to us. Whether it's with a stranger at the grocery store, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family. We need to take the time and effort to develop a win-win mindset, to be able to cooperate, to be able to say, you matter as much as I do. So let's make this work together. Will you pray with me, please?